Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be playing some of our favorite conversations from the winter and spring of 2023. We start the show by speaking with Father Eamon Kelly, who joins us from the town of Magdala in Israel. Yes, that's right. That's the town that Mary Magdalene came from. He will tell us all about the work at the Magdala Center. After that, we'll reconnect with singer-songwriter Kay Clarity, who's almost done with her Kasha and Murr project. In our second half hour, we speak with filmmakers Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman, who tell us all about their latest apologetic and demonic thriller film, Nefarious. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Hannah Schaefer, who shares about her struggles with infertility and also has new music this year. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at slmedia.org podcast. And to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, you can look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also email me, pedro at slmedia.org. We begin now with a trip to the town of Magdala. The first time I traveled to the Holy Land, I stayed at the Notre Dame Center in Jerusalem. Maybe some of you have stayed there. The guest house is a pontifical institute, but is managed by the Legionaries of Christ. A few years ago, the Legionaries felt that Christ was leading them to build a retreat center in the Galilee. And the place? Magdala. When the construction began in 2009, they discovered the remains of a synagogue dating to the first century. Needless to say that this place, Magdala, is a place of history for both Jews and Christians, but also a place of pilgrimage and reflection. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Father Eamon Kelly, who works and lives in Magdala. Father Eamon, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. It's good to be with you. What a privilege to be with you, Deacon Pedro, here from Magdala at the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely. Now, I'm sure that people have heard of Mary Magdalene. Sometimes she's called Mary of Magdala. That is the town. That's where you are right now. Well, that's what the claim is. <laughs> <laughs> so if people, if people go to Magdala, what do they see? Like, what is there to do? You said there's ruins, that there's a center, there's a pilgrimage or a visitor center. Tell us a little yeah. bit about what people can see and do there. So uh, Magdala has really three parts to it. Uh, there's uh, the part of the Franciscans, which they have been developing for 130 years. And uh, it's an archaeological site that's very rich in archaeology, going back about 17, uh, 1,700 years of archaeology from Hellenic times up to Ottoman period. So let's say 2,300 years ago up into the Ottoman Empire period. And then there's another piece of property just recently developed last year, uh, last year meaning uh, a year and a half ago now, and we have another synagogue across the street, and that's state property or, or public authorities' properties. And then there's the piece of land that the legionaries, we bought uh, uh, four different pieces of property from about 2006 to 2009 in a three-year period. Can I interrupt you? Um, you, you mentioned this, you said across the street there's a synagogue. You mean the ruins of the synagogue or, or an actual synagogue? Exactly, the ruins of the synagogue so, from 2,000 years ago. Now, that's so the this, second synagogue because we found, I was just going to tell you, we found another one. Okay. I, the first thing we found was right under where we were going to build our guest house. 
tell me about that. So, so this is the first century synagogue. Exactly. So believe- we go back to 2009. Uh, in that process, we found a synagogue from the time of Jesus. So then um, the, the discovery entailed a synagogue uh, for to see maybe 150, 200 people. We're talking about 120 square meters space, wow. about 11 by 11, more or less. And then uh, there were pillars in there. We have found remnants of significant size remnants of a number of square meters of mosaic tiling on the floor. Yes. And also fresco paintings on the walls. And this is very significant because these fresco paintings and the mosaic patterns are similar to what's found in Pompeii which was built by the richest Romans. Right. So I always heard that Jesus was, you know, um, working with the poor fishermen. But actually, we're looking at a town that's very well-to-do. It's a prosperous town, or at least it's a prosperous community. You're that right. want to put in their savings, if that's the way they're going about it, into one of their most important spots, which is their synagogue. And mm. now we found a second synagogue. We the, It was found this uh, year and a half ago up across the road, 160 yards from our synagogue. And by the way, Deacon Pedro, you have a lot of experience in the church and you've met a lot of priests. When is the first time you've ever heard a priest saying, our synagogue? Never, never. You're definitely (laughs) the first one, our synagogue. I know, but it's wonderful. But I was going to ask you about that because it sounds like Magdala would not just be a pilgrimage, if I can call it that, place for Christians, but also for Jews. I wonder if the Jews would call it a pilgrimage place, but they definitely would come with great reverence. Yes. They would come with great, uh, let's say, cur- cultural curiosity. Right. Obviously, there, yeah, and maybe, I'm not sure if the listeners are familiar, but um, um, let's say the more Orthodox Jews are very reluctant to enter a Christian space. Of course. And particularly a Christian church, and, and, and many of them still carry uh, live a prohibition of entering a church. But um, obviously, the synagogue is a Jewish institution. And then they come to visit and they are astonished by, they probably get goosebumps there, you know. In fact, I say that the Jewish people get goosebumps because we have the oldest menorah, the seven-branch candelabra ever found. And that's one of the features on the famous Magla stone. You Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah, you can see it all on the website there, magla.org, just to check out, see pictures of it. But we have this, there's, in the center of the synagogue, there's a Magla stone. We call it that. It's dubbed like that. All the media call it the Magdala Stone. And this uh, stone is a unique artifact found in the center of the floor of the synagogue, a little bit off-center, but in the central area. And it was on the floor level where we found it. And it is a piece of limestone from Mount Arbel just across the street. And it's carved with all the symbols that of the most important things in the temple, according to predominant interpretation by archaeologists because they've never had anything before so they have to interpret what they have and try to understand what it mm-hmm. means but the menorah is is indisputable and many of the other pieces on the stone are also a traditionally well-known uh, symbolic things so we have the menorah the altar of incense we have two jars two columns which were very famous in the temple because they had nicknames boaz and yahin Really? And then on the top of the stone, we have showbread of the temple, which is very interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with Brand Petrie. Yes, um, I am. So then I uh, would like to give him a shout out there because I'm actually just reading a book he has written about the biblical roots of the Eucharist. And one of them yes. is on the showbread. And I think that's kind of a, an element of the biblical tradition and practice that has been under the radar for us. We haven't spoken enough about it and i think this is going to be a, an interesting topic that we need to look into more because there's also roots of the eucharist are in the showbread fascinating yes of course 
Yes. And, and, and I really recommend that book, the, the Biblical Roots of the Eucharist. Yes, it is a wonderful book. In fact, Brand Petrie was on this program talking very exactly about that book when it first came out a couple of years ago. Um, okay. Father Eamon, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to ask you, so people, obviously, we want to encourage people to visit Magdala if they have the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, but they don't necessarily have to go because you might have some programs that are available online for people. Can you tell us about some of the programs that are available for people who are there, but also for people who can join from wherever they may be? Well, you're right, honored, uh, uh, Deacon Pedro, because we just started our next virtual pilgrimage. And to just go on the Magla website, they'll find a poster on it for sure, magla.org. And then it's on YouTube, uh, in the English Magla English YouTube channel. It's a new channel. And this is a pilgrimage. It's called the Pilgrimage of Freedom. And it's under the name of Exodus because it's dealing with Exodus from Egypt and slavery into freedom, which is also the freedom that's won by the Ten Commandments, and then which have their full development in the moral life of the redeemed person and the Beatitudes right. and, and the virtues. And we have another big event at the end of March. It's the Women's Encounter. Every year we have it, whereby okay. Muslim, Jewish, and Christian women participate and others. Okay. And it's a very interesting, and each year has a different topic. Maybe we can cover it on another occasion. And then yep. at the end of July, in the, around the Feast of Mary Magdalene, the 22nd, we have a youth fest. Right. It's going to start on the 21st of July until the 31st, just before the World Youth Day in Lisbon, so that young people can come to the Holy Land and do a pilgrimage. Oh, wonderful. Have this youth fest with some very interesting um, musical Christian musicians from especially Latin America. Wonderful. Very alive and pumping energy. And then go on to the World Youth Day with Pope Francis, God willing, in August in Okay. Wonderful. And and so people can find out about all of those opportunities at the website magdala.org. Father Eamon. I'm so sorry. We are going to have to bring you back because this, we just don't have enough time to to talk about everything that we need to talk about today. But it's been, uh, I think, really good to plant the seed. If people are planning a pilgrimage or going to yes. to Israel, make yes. a point of of taking a little detour and and visiting Magdala. Um, oh, absolutely! It's becoming a central stop on pilgrimage routes now. But yes, actually, you can come to Magdala every day. They should try my live stream in the morning at sunrise. Oh, oh yes! Roll and chat. On Instagram for two or three minutes, on Facebook for about 15 minutes, and that goes up on YouTube. And so you have a link for that, a, a link. At, okay, in- good. I, I We will share that link on our on our website so people can find it easily. Yes, uh, you can watch the sun rise at, at, the, sea uh, every at the Sea of Galilee every morning with a, not just the sun rising, but a, a wonderful daily reflection with Father Eamon Kelly. So lots of good things for people to do for Lent, actually. Maybe that's one yes. something that people can do every morning for Lent. They can join you yes. uh, for that uh, for that sunrise and then uh, the Exodus pilgrimage, of course, and the women's encounter at the end of March. Um, right. Father Eamon, thank you so much for uh, spending a little bit of time with us today, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. What an invitation. God bless all the people of salt and light here from the Sea of Galilee. Thank you. You can learn all about Magdala and the Magdala Center, how to make a pilgrimage as pilgrimage season is starting up, book your stay at their beautiful guest house, and also learn about all the programs that Father Eamon mentioned, the Exodus Pilgrimage and the Women's Encounter, at their website, magdala.org. Um, and I'll post links to Father Eamon's morning sunrise reflections over the Sea of Galilee 
on our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. That's also where you can listen to the full program. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Kay Clarity, with Blessed Be the Name of the Lord from her Kasha and Myrrh Project, Catholic Chapters, Chapter 3. Secret domino plaquit Ita factum est Sit nomen domini Kay Clarity with Blessed Be the Name of the Lord from her Kasha and Myrrh Project, Catholic Chapters, Chapter 3. We first met mainstream singer Kay Clarity in March 2020 as she was embarking on a truly Catholic project titled Catholic Chapters. The project, under the title of Kasha and Myrrh, was an ambitious one that would feature four albums dedicated to chant, traditional hymns, and contemporary originals. In October 21, we reconnected with Kay and spoke about her Kasha and Mer project. It was half done then, and now it is 75% done with three albums recorded and the last one to come out hopefully this year. And so, to tell us more, I'm now joined by Kay Clarity. Kay, welcome back to the Sultan Light Hour. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. So, uh, um, I think that the first time we met... And I don't know, I'm going to say maybe three or four years ago, three years ago, Something you were like you were either just starting the Catholic chapters. Yes. And it seemed to me, I, I don't know if I told you at the time, but it seemed to me that it was like this super ambitious, this is going to take forever project, but yeah. it didn't take forever because you've, is it, is it done? Are you finished? We're not done just yet. We are 75% finished because when you set out to do four albums, it does take some doing. So we've released three and upcoming still is the audio rosaries, but that should start moving along in the next couple of months. Okay. So tell us a little more for people that maybe did not hear our conversation last time. So Kasha and Myrrh, what is Kasha and Myrrh? So Kasha and Myrrh is a reference from the Psalms. 
about letting incense go up to the yes. Lord. And I always say I chose cash and myrrh because cash aloe and myrrh doesn't sound as good. Right. <laughs> that's the reference. Yeah. So it's supposed to be just a reference to us giving ourselves to God in song. Right. I, I liked how it sounded. And a lot of people say cassia. And I guess that's a very common pronunciation yes. as well, but it's always been cassia to me. And I, right. So it's just a, it's just a, I thought it was a beautiful sounding way to express that and the catholic chapters project the four albums so what was the idea behind that so i had a very specific actually pedagogical idea in mind mm -hmm. and i think there are so many different facets to the church and the way people practice their faith and i thought it would be really beautiful to shine a light on some of these more deeply traditional aspects of the faith but then also have these contemporary integrations of it as well. So right. chapter three is more of my own exploration of my experience with God and my prayer life and that kind of a thing. And so just encouraging people along uh, that track as well. So I just think there are a lot of different ways you can integrate being Catholic, even within the Catholic niche. So that was sort of the idea I had in mind. And and so again, remind us. So the chapter one was more traditional hymns or Gregorian chant. Sorry. Yeah, Gregorian, and, Gregorian chant, and then hymns, classic hymns. hymns. Chapter three was the 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 more contemporary. Yeah. And these contemporaries are your own original compositions. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's a there's a progression there, mm -hmm. musically, uh, or historically, I, I guess in many different ways. So. Do you think that you as an artist could get, or as a Catholic artist, could get to writing your own originals if you didn't start and root yourself with chant and then some of the traditional hymns? Like, why did you want to follow that progression? Well, I, I wanted to do a simple encapsulation of these traditional forms as well. I think a lot of people haven't had the chance to be gently exposed to a lot of the tradition of the church. I mm -hmm. think there is sometimes a gap in that. People for a long time thought that was old or passe or something. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people just don't get the chance to just experience it in a gentle way. And so I thought having a bit more of a modern voice, but not, but still being true to the form would be a nice introduction for a lot of people to that form. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, yeah, I think it is a nice trajectory into the contemporary things, because I think sometimes that's all someone does. And that's okay. I mean, I don't expect everybody to take on the kind of project I took on. But um, what sometimes happens is then it becomes only that. And I think that can be a lack. Either way can be a lack sometimes when we, mm -hmm. we miss different pieces. So I wanted to bring all of that together. And it's interesting that you that you mentioned that because you are one of these artists that is very hard to to pinpoint, um, <laughs> you know. because you have all these different projects and and, and maybe even personas if I can call them that, <laughs> yeah. um, because you even you're writing pop music, yeah, but that does not fall under your Kasha and Mur umbrella if I can call yeah. it that. Yeah. So my main, I always say my main lane is actually my regular poetic folk things that I do as. Hey, Clarity, you know, that's the main starting point for me. It's the things that are most dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. But um, I wanted to be able to do a Catholic project. And I purposely put myself in the backdrop of that. I wanted, to be, wanted it to be about God and the music in that category. It's really a labor of love. Mm -hmm. And then with, with the pop music, that's just something that happened because I came to LA and I knew this great producer. 
And I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. And I just realized it was another way to integrate the things I care about, but share them with a very different audience. So a lot of the songs I write are connected deeply with even Catholic themes, but I hope not in any kind of lame way. You know, it's not like right. you have, there's a right way to do it. And I think, um, but I think there, there, there's universal appeal to those tracks, to people that aren't religious. Because I think what we forget is that as Catholics, we have this very rich palette to work with artistically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. light and dark and good and evil mm-hmm. and history. And it's just a very rich palette that I think our culture is really missing. And you see at the worst of it, you see this really high level of degeneracy but even without the degeneracy, it's just boring and bland. People don't have this yeah. rich vocabulary anymore to draw from. Mm-hmm. And I think people are very hungry for depth and for symbolic richness. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that you, I think in a pop category, you can bring those things in, but people like it because it's a pop sound. So it's it's an interesting way to sort of bring some of those elements back into mainstream pop culture. Yeah, and you're reaching audiences that you wouldn't reach because they would they're not going to buy catholic chapters you know, exactly chapter three <laughs> yeah. you, they're, they're not going to um and so it's kind of like you're it's kind of like undercover work um yeah exactly <laughs> but do you also feel that if you were labeled as the catholic k clarity catholic then you would not be able to do pop music at all because nobody would would think that you would be credible or or something like that is that happening yeah i think in, I would my instinct would be that there might be more openness to the songs themselves depending on where you go but I think the harder part is actually just being that and living it out because mm. it, the way I explain it my own experience in the music industry is that I've just sort of had to perpetually self-cancel because the kinds of opportunities open to me always involve some kind of compromise mm-hmm. and so a great interest for me is to rebuild, other kinds of channels of good art where artists like me who want to live from a place of high integrity and do something different uh, can find ways to get to people. So it, I think that's, that's sometimes interestingly the bigger challenge, but I also think that even with the content we have, we've become so narrowed in, in this politically correct lane that you're not really allowed to say, Things that offend people, of course, but the the more important thing from an, a creative angle is that you're really just not allowed to do anything interesting mm. because it's risky to be a bit interesting. So it's not even about, I think, sometimes even being Catholic so much as just not being afraid of just going a little bit out of outside of that politically correct lane. And the flip side to that, though, is that people are starving for it. They want something real. It's true. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true. And I'm so glad then that you're taking those risks. And you know what I really like about it is that about what you're doing is that you did it for the Kasha and Mer, but I think you're doing with with all your other projects that it's not about you, that that the fact that you do not put your name out there necessarily, but it's the project name Mm -hmm. means that you're letting someone else take the lead or making the music, even if you were not an artist of faith. That yeah. you're putting the music first and that i think takes a lot of courage that it's not you know the the industry is all about me 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 and look at me right and that social media perpetuates all that but with you it's kind of hard to figure out who you are <laughs> because it's not about you and i like <laughs> i don't mean i don't mean it in a bad no, way you know i actually I mean. that's a very high compliment that i receive truly because that that is true it is true i i if it were about ego i wouldn't do it there are a lot of other things i could do with my life that would be a lot easier yeah. More 
people. And I, but I have a heart for our very broken culture. I think, I think it's all important. I think doing the religious work is very important because it directly feeds the soul. But I think as for a lot of Catholics, we don't look at how broad of an influence popular culture is. Mm -hmm. And very few people seem willing to show up there. And we Mm -hmm. forget that, I don't know, a billion people are following the Kardashians. Yeah. And we don't understand that this isn't just about some kind of arbitrary culture war. It's about souls. Yep. And if we don't take territory, the kids especially are growing up with that. They're growing up with really demented, ugly stuff. Like we're so desensitized. So even someone like Taylor Swift, which a lot of people think is very vanilla light, like all of her songs are completely entrenched in sex and violence and revenge. Mm -hmm. And, but she's kind of the cleaner version of the pop culture and she's pretty gross, you know? And so people are bringing their teen girls to these, these concerts and stuff. And I, I guess I empathize because we, there is so little pop culture that we can engage in. And it's such, it's such a, um, a harvest, you know, if we would Mm -hmm. take it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that you're doing the work and they, even if you have to do it undercover, um, (laughs) but that's how we reach souls. And, and, uh, I'm looking forward to chapter four. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Good. I would say it's the most ambitious part of the project, which is why it's taking longer than originally anticipated. Um, it's, it's four, sacred music songs I also compose sort of in the style of St. Hildegard von Biggin. So uh-huh, yes. that very kind of haunting mystical Beautiful. sound. I don't know. I'm not going to say I'm competing with St. Hildegard, but it's definitely inspired by some of that sound. And then um, having to do the the audio speaking over top is not the easiest thing in the world. A lot of people would be surprised, yes. um, especially especially because I decided we'd also do Latin. <laughs> so it's oh, good be, for you. It's going to be a good fun for you. Time. I'm looking forward to to that, and of course the the rosary that you mentioned earlier as well. Kay, yeah. good to see you. Uh, good to listen to the new music, and uh, looking forward to what's to come. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Kay Clarity and all her projects at her website, kclarity.com. It's K-K-A-Y, kclarity.com. If you missed any part of the interview, head on over to slmedia.org. All our programs are archived there. Here now is Kay Clarity from her pop music project, the Pax Paloma Project, the song titled Love Songs. I won't write love songs before it's time. So many pretenders, so many butterflies, they're nothing at all. So many promises under starlit skies, they're nothing at all. So many pretenders, pretenders, so many princes turned, princes turned to nothing. Oh, 
Listening to Kay Clarity with love songs from her pop music project Pax Paloma. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Subscribe to our podcast and never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. On the day of his scheduled execution, a convicted serial killer gets a psychiatric evaluation during which he claims he is a demon and further claims that before the time is over, the psychiatrist will commit three murders of his own. This is the official description of the new film Nefarious, of the production team of Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman, who also made the films Unplanned, God is Dead, and Do You Believe? The film is inspired by the novel A Nefarious Plot by Steve Dees. The film, like the novel, follows the conversation between the convicted serial killer and the psychiatrist who tries to determine whether the man is insane or truly possessed, or whether he deserves the electric chair. The filmmakers, who are both practicing Catholics, say that the film takes the mask off evil. And so, to find out more recently, I spoke with co-directors, co-producers, co-writers, Carrie Solomon and Chuck Konzelman. Welcome, you guys. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you for having us. So, in your words, what would you say this film is about? Uh, it's, uh, well, at, at sort of the meta level, it's, a, it's about the battle between good and evil. Um, good in this case, uh, well, it, 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 the audience sees, uh, the film through the eyes of a, of a psychiatrist who's sent in to do the 11th hour, uh, examination of the sanity of a convicted serial killer, um, to determine whether or not he can be executed because the state will not execute you if you're insane. Uh, and then evil is much more directly represented by, the character we refer to as Nefarious, and that's the name given by an entity who claims to be a demon in full possession of the convicted serial killer. So it's that battle between good and evil that takes place. Most of the film takes place over a table in one conversation. But I think it's important that your listeners, by the way, realize that it is not a demonic, satanic kind of movie. There's no bad language. There's no gratuitous sex. There's none of that. This is two guys in a room, one who says he's a demon, the other who thinks he's really, really smarter than everybody else. Right. And so the bottom line is that you have more of the dynamic of, let's say, Jodie Fisher in Jodie uh, Foster, Jody Foster yes. in, uh, Silence of the Lambs talking to... Uh, Anthony Hopkins. This is C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, a more mature version. Uh, right. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Okay. So, so you nothing just, to be feared. No, you're right. And I've heard that description. It's kind of Silence of the Lambs meets The Exorcist. But you're right. It's not really an Exorcist film. It's and I'm uh, my background is theater, so I love the idea of a two hander. It's all about text. It's all about dialogue. Two guys talking and 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 about ideas. So let me ask you, Carrie. What I know that the the story is based on a novel, but what really inspired the two of you to tackle this subject to make the film? You know, Steve Dace came up with the book, and and uh, we I 
the idea that Steve had was a more realistic version of the screw tape letters. Okay. And another one, no comedy. It was about a demon ranting on how he destroyed America and the world, etc. And so we said, you know, what if we actually made a movie and added, because that was just uh, in the book, it was just a rant by a de demon. Okay. And what if we made a movie and put a beginning, a middle, and end in a storyline in there, right? This could be really fascinating. Two guys, character who is uh, Lord Nefarious is is what he calls himself, and basically, uh, he's a lieutenant of hell, is what it really boils down to. Right. And we made him our opponent. But right. to make the the answer for it is really simple. It's it, the Lord called us to do it. I mean, Amen. I we we went right, we went left, and he's like, nice kids get back to work. And, you know, we wanted to go do a Western or do this or do that or whatever, you know, and he's like, yeah, that's cute. Get back to work. And so, right. you know, all of a sudden, you know, we finally got, it takes us, we're from New Jersey and New York from Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, so it takes us a little time to figure things out. Subtlety is lost on us. Yeah. And no. so he had to beat us up in the head a little bit. But I appreciate, and again, it's like, you can, you can make, it's very hard to make a film about ideas. It's film is about relationship. And so you got two people here relating. So in that sense, it makes sense to make the devil or the enemy and this nefarious to making, uh, make him a, a person, a character. Right. Is that the best way to think about the devil? Is the devil really a person, Chuck? Yes, he and all of his minions are, are, are persons yeah. uh, in a very real sense. They, they are uh, they're their own entities. They are the fallen angels. And so we don't understand them completely, but we, they're, they're, they're they they're sort of understandable as persons. They just have, they they have uh, supreme intellect, and uh, unlike us, and uh, part of what uh, comprises what goes on in the film, they had knowledge of God to start off with and chose willingly to reject Him. And by virtue of that, their their damnation is permanent, and irrevocable. Uh, not subject to grace and forgiveness. Well, it's one of the things I think about the movies. Why we did the movie is we wanted to show the uh, the average person who is lukewarm on whether there is a devil or not. That look, the enemy of mankind is the devil, and that he is real. And this movie will prove to you that he's real. Uh, that there is good and evil, and God is not the the problem that you think you're having. The devil is the problem that you think you're having. And so we put we drag the devil out of the darkness into the light in this movie, and we show truth to the audience. And I will tell you, it's profoundly affecting people all across the country. Yeah, I've I've heard that uh, absolutely. Um, part part of the devil's plan is to to make us think that he doesn't exist. I mean, that's that's the whole. Uh, the whole the whole part of the plan, but there is more to the plan. And in the film, you reveal Satan's plan. So, uh, Carrie, what would you say is Satan's plan? Oh, the absolute destruction of every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth, so that they will not take uh, the seats in heaven that the Lord has appointed. You know, mankind is meant to replace the seats that were lost by the the fallen angels, and therefore, if he is successful in destroying mankind. The Lord can never fulfill that. And basically those seats will be left vacant and a whole multitude of things obviously will occur. But right. that's not, you know, I, I I believe that the devil is out of malice and hatred. Uh, you know, when you when it can, he has no grace. So it's destruction. It's it's death. It's murder. It's it lies. Destruction of us 
gives him delight and gives him joy because he cannot hurt because he's hurting god he cannot hurt god directly all he can do is destroy that which god loves which is right us. right but 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 it's not but it's subtle it's not like he wants to kill everybody he wants to kill life inside of us right well i think he wants to kill everybody but he's not allowed to kill everybody because if he would he would have done it already i right. think what it is is because the lord nothing can the devil can't do anything that the lord won't allow but when people go out and sin they distance themselves from the lord it's kind of like you've seen this a million times in the national geographic video where the wildebeest or the lone creature from the herd gets siphoned off by the lions and then yep. what happens the lions attack that beast and of course he's 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 dead that's exactly what the devil does with mankind he he what does the bible say he's prowling the world like a lion looking for prey and while his host is doing the same thing we are in a battle i think that's a really important thing people need to understand devil is real even as even if you don't want to believe in him he believes in the fact that drew exists and that he will just try and attempt to destroy you. And from the moment of your moment of your conception, there are two places in the universe created for you. There's a place in heaven and a place in hell. And you will be you will ultimately occupy one or the other. And the mm -hmm. rest is all just the battle to determine which one. Mm-hmm. So you said, um, Carrie, you said that the film is touching a lot of people, and that's the same thing I've heard as well. Um, what would you say? I think I know how you're going to answer, but I'll let you say it. What is your hope for this film? Where are we going to go well, from first, here? First, I would I would like to say to all the listeners, when you look at the poster, you see what seems to you as a demonic or a satanic movie. We did yeah. that very much on purpose because it's not you, the, the faithful Catholic, that we made the movie for. We made it for non-believers who were wandering aimlessly like the wildebeest away from the herd. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, we wanted to bring in 15 to 29 year olds because we basically wanted, they're the ones that need to see the truth, right? So we lure them in. So I would tell your listeners that this is not a demonic satanic movie. There's no sex. There's no violent. Uh, there's no uh, uh, F-bombs or anything yes. like that. It's just a conversation. But it's so sobering and so powerful. Look, the truth needs to be told. And like I said, we bring the devil out of the darkness into the light. And we show his machinations and how he's he tries. He is trying to destroy your soul and everyone else's soul. And that's the power of the movie is that it's truth. Look, the Lord had us do the movie. We we two guys from New Jersey. We don't. If you hear the dialogue in that movie, two guys from Jersey can't write that dialogue. That is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we, we have a tough time understanding it. No, you're right, and I think that that's the same with all the films that you guys have done. It's like you do the work for some reason. God has called you to do this, and then God, the Holy Spirit. This weekend is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will take that and do what blow what where the Spirit blows. So, um, thank you for for making the film. Um, Thank you for doing what you guys do. I'm looking forward to more films from you guys. And uh, thank you for telling us about it today. Oh, thank you thank for you having us. And God bless all your God listeners bless. too. That was a conversation I had with filmmakers Carrie Solomon and Chuck Consulman earlier this week. They are the team that brought you the films Unplanned, Do You Believe, and God Is Not Dead, among others. They are the executive producers and co-directors of the new film Nefarious. You can find out more at whoisnefarious.com. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Hannah Schaefer, with her new single, Never Walk Alone. I feel the call to walk with thee. I want to be your hands and feet. But my fears are 
That was Hannah Schaefer with her new single, Never Walk Alone. I always find it challenging to reintroduce a guest who's been on the show before. And in the case of Hannah Schaefer, she's been on the show several times. But I guess that doesn't mean that some of you have not heard of her since her career really just kicked off in 2020. But Hannah was already doing music 10 years ago. Since then, she's won several awards, has opened for Matt Marr, Father Rob Gallia, and so many others, and her music has been streamed some half a million times. In the last year, Hannah has continued touring and performing and also writing and recording, and we will speak about that, but you may remember that Hannah also recently got married, and Hannah has shared her personal journey struggling with infertility, a journey that taught her about God's faithfulness. And so we have quite a bit to catch up on. So I'm very happy to welcome Hannah Schaefer back to the Salt and Light Hour. Hannah, it's good to see you. Welcome. Oh, it's so good to see you too. Happy to happy to be on to talk about all the things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it seems incredible that, I mean, really, we just met like three years ago. I mean, it seems like so long. Um, and I know that the last time we spoke, we were talking about you just getting married. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yes. Um, I know. It seems like so long ago. Um, wow. You were already, I mean, we spoke a year ago, and I guess you were already struggling with infertility. Yeah. So um, it's it's been a journey that I've kept a secret, essentially, you know, just, or at least close to the people who are, you know, in that, in that circle of five, you know, of it's, course. It's, um, because it was just a, a personal journey that I, at the, you know, essentially these past several years, I've not really felt comfortable 
opening up about I just wasn't mm -hmm. ready my heart wasn't ready um and but you know the the older I get the more I realize that when we are suffering with something um we're usually not alone no. <laughs> we're usually not alone in that suffering and so um I just the you know we we've been through um through a, a journey, a long, it feels like a long journey. I don't know for anybody who's listening that maybe can, mm -hmm. um, has experienced this too. You know, it's, it, it, I, I always, you know, don't like to compare time when it comes to this journey of, of, of infertility, because any piece of that suffering feels like forever. Of course. It feels like forever. I mean, when you, when you feel called to, to a deeper vocation, and things aren't going the way you plan or the way you want um it really makes you question um you know that that faith it, it makes you mm -hmm. question um i mean essentially it just gives you the opportunity to either run away from god or completely fall into his arms and trust right. him and so and what okay if it's painful <laughs> so what was the one thing that made you fall into his arms and not run away i mean maybe you did try to run away i'm not sure can you tell us about that oh yeah well i think my relationship with jesus has always been very much like a like a, a close friend and so um I, I have always felt like jesus is a place that i can hide in my heart and my hurt uh, I can give that to him. And so, you know, through, through this, you know, when we, when we realized that, um, you know, we, we were actually struggling with the infertility, um, I just threw like, like, like I threw most things, throw most things in my life, my music career, you know, our marriage, like just everything. I just threw it at him. And that doesn't mean that I didn't have questions and I sure did ask him. I sure did ask him, you mm -hmm. know, in those adoration chapel nights, you know, just through tears or through, you know, I mean, every day was different. Every day is different when you're going through something um, so connected to your heart and your soul um, as as a calling of of motherhood that, um, you know, I had no other choice but but to lean on Jesus. I know mm -hmm. I had no place to run to. Um, I'm just thankful that I was able to to go to Jesus with my husband and not completely alone. I was going to ask you about that. You also had Ryan, your husband, and 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 yes. he's he's part of the same struggle. Now, I we should say that you and Ryan finally did get pregnant, and you yes, are expecting yes. now. Congratulations! Thank um, you. That's not always the case for for women and men who who struggle with infertility. What what do you want to tell that? that person who might be listening, who maybe has, is struggling or has struggled with infertility? Mm. I'd like to tell you that um, the way that you feel and the way that you hurt, you know, is, is fair. You know, like it's, there's, there's no, there's nothing that tells you you can't feel the way that you do. Um, and it's okay. One of one of the one really awesome thing that somebody told me, um, because it, it's hard when you see people having something that you desire so deeply. Um, and, and, and honestly, that's very easy for bitterness to come in. And it's a place where Satan likes to create chaos um, and have a playground with. But I'd like to say to you, you know, it's okay to be happy for your friends and be happy for the people that you love. 
mm-hmm. and be sad for yourself at the same time. And you got to give yourself that grace. It's okay to have conversations with your loved ones, but don't allow Satan to, to for you to dwell in the darkness of this season. Um, and to know that God is still alive in it. Hope is still alive in it, even when it feels like the darkest night of your life. And that could be months, years, however long it is, um, that that God is faithful. He is faithful and he will never abandon you. He will never abandon his children, his beloved. And um, and the, the horizon is on its way. Mm-hmm. During that time, you obviously you were writing and, and composing and recording and performing. And, and I, I can imagine that that also provided some comfort to you, your music. Uh, you're working on a new album. Has any of that experience influenced the album? Oh, all of it. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, what's so interesting is the last time I, or the last, um, I've been finishing up this album and I'm excited to be working on releasing it this, this year. And I was never really sure if I was going to share my journey, but, but I mean, it deeply impacted every single song on this project because that's, that's where I was. Mm -hmm. I actually, one of the songs on the project I wrote with father Rob Gallia, and he was one of the, one of the people that got to, you know, got to know what we were going through. We did a co-writing session once and I kept trying to make the song happy at the end because that's just what a lot of christian music is you know it has the mm-hmm. the heartache but then it has the triumph right yep. and father <laughs> father Rob was like hannah stop and i'm like what and he's like stop trying to resolve this song mm-hmm. is that where you are and I just like start crying. And I was like, no, father, it's not where I'm at. It's not where I'm at. I, I haven't seen my happy ending. I haven't, but I believe that someday it will happen, you know? Um, and he said, so Hannah, it's okay to stay on the cross. Let's write this song and stay on the cross. And so um, the song is it, it, when it, you know, when the album comes out, that, that will be on the album. Um, but you know, I was so humbled with Father Robin. I actually felt very seen because because I I, I felt so compelled to write songs that had happy endings for other people mm-hmm. that I wasn't allowing myself to 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 write a song that was very authentic to where I actually was. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard, but yeah. <laughs> so many so many of us go through through seasons like that, and for some people. It, those seasons are long yeah um um so it's good to know that we're not alone and that we are seen and we are loved um i don't know what that particular song that you were writing with father rob was but i do know that there was another song that you wrote and we want to end the show with it called faithful that i i think either helped you understand or reflects the fact that you understood that no matter what the darkness is that god was faithful can you tell us about that song Yes, Faithful is hands down the favorite, my, my favorite song I've ever written. Um, wrote it with a friend who also knew about our journey. And um, I, I mean, the, the chorus is what I would sing over myself in those moments um, where it just felt like I could break. 
and the chorus goes, um, you are faithful, you are faithful. Jesus, that is who you are. Through the desert barren wasteland, when it doesn't go as I plan, I know you're still good and you're still able. You are faithful. And yeah, it, it carried, it carried me, you know, songs transcends so much. Um, Absolutely. It it does. And so I hope that this song is able to reach the depths of anybody who listens to it because it doesn't feel like it's my song. Mm. It felt like God just dropped it out of heaven so that people may be healed and that hope and faith in God and his goodness would be restored because well, that is the truth. Well, Hannah, thank you for allowing the Lord to work through you, even if it meant that you had to hang on the cross there uh, a little bit with him. And we're, we're all called to that as we make our way to make our way towards Easter. Um, I'm sure that the song will bless a lot of people, Hannah. So thank you for blessing us with it. It's good oh, to see you. Well, thank you. Good to see you too. Thanks for letting me share the depths of my heart today. You can learn more about Hannah Schaefer and get her music at her website, hannahschafermusic.com. And of course, you can find Hannah on social media and anywhere you stream your music. If you missed any part of this interview, head on over to our website, somedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. And here now to take us out is that song that Hannah was just talking about. Her new single, Faithful.
We're listening to Hannah Schaefer with her single, Faithful. And that concludes this special summer edition of the Sultanite Hour. Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org, in order to find out everything you want about us and about how to support our ministry. We cannot bring you this program for free without your support. Thank you for your donations. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Write to me to say hello. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special summer edition of the Salt and Light Hour.